Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, listen, you guys picked a great day to come to church uh, because we are embarking in a brand new series entitled, It's Me. It's Me. Do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, it's me. Now tap your second choice and say, it's still me. And we're going to be diving into, we're going to be unpacking this over the next four weeks. But today specifically, I want to talk to you a little bit about conflict. And and I want to speak to you today around the subject of a hot mess. A hot mess. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning. God, I pray that as we dive into this series that uh, this wouldn't be the series of the elbows where we're elbowing the person next to us. But, God, that we would invite you to speak to our hearts this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that that you would speak to us in such a way that we would never be the same. Because, Lord, I can't think of a better topic that's closer to your heart than us loving you and us loving one another. So I have two prayer requests for this series, God. Lord, I pray that we'd fall more in love with you individually. And I pray that we would love and serve one another as you have served us. So, God, give us eyes to hear and give us, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, has anybody ever heard of a hot mess before? Like some of you guys, like, I was called that this week. What in the world does that mean? Well, over the last couple of weeks, I, actually, I found out what this phrase means and, and where it came from. It came from the 19th century. Uh, it was military language. And on a military base, they had what was, you know, what we would call a cafeteria. They would call a mess hall. And any time that uh, there was going to be a hot plate or hot food being served, they would say, today at lunch is going to be a hot mess. And then fast forward to the 20th century, they recoined that phrase. And they started to use it whenever soldiers would get into a bad situation or a tight pinch or a firefight. They would say, oh, this doesn't look good. These soldiers have gotten themselves into a hot mess. And now you fast forward to the 21st century, and the evolution of that word hot, it means something completely different today. And I love how the Urban Dictionary describes it. Let me show you. It says this. It says, a hot mess is when one's thoughts or appearance are in a state of disarray or disorder, but they maintain an undeniable attractiveness or beauty. So, so in other words, when my wife wakes up in the morning and her hair's all <laughs> messed up and she's still the most beautiful woman on the planet to me. And so I would wake up, she would wake up, we'd look at each other and I'd say, ooh, you are a hot <laughs> mess. And now you guys know I have never said that to my wife. And gentlemen, I don't recommend that you say that to your wife either because I, I guarantee you're going to need a lot more than this series uh, to fix that relationship. So don't <laughs> use that language. But I thought, isn't that great? Isn't that a great picture of our relationships? See, when it comes to relationships, we're, we're, we're so attracted to them. <laughs> Yet if you have any relationships, you know they can be a little bit messy. You see, we're attracted to them because that's the way God has designed us. 
And it doesn't mean just between husband or wife. I'm talking to any relationships, friendships, parental relationships between parents and their kids. I mean, we're just drawn and attracted to relationships. It's the way God made us. That's why here at Fountain Church, small groups is so vital to us. Because you were not designed to do life by yourself. God says it's a whole lot better when we're together. You tracking with that? And it takes me all the way back to Genesis when God created Adam. The very first thing that God said wasn't good is that Adam was by himself. He's like, bro, you're good, but this situation isn't good. And so God created Eve, and in that moment, Adam said, whoa, man, right? And, uh, and there was an instant attraction, not just physically, but, but relationally. Fast forward a little bit of time, Adam and Eve got themselves into a little bit of a mess of their own. And they bought into a lie that many of us buy into, that something outside of God's design is going to satisfy our heart. They bought into a lie that, that somehow, somehow God, uh, they, they got this lie that God is not good and God is withholding something from them. And as a result of that, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie from Satan. Sin entered humanity, fractured the universe. And from that point forward, every human being that's born on the planet is born with this sinful nature or this innate, in, innate selfishness. In other words, hashtag, we got issues. And if you don't think you got issues, come on, found church, that's your issue. Are you tracking with that? Because um, we all have issues. And so, so here we are, and, and we're attracted to relationships because that's the way God has designed us. But at the very same time, because we got issues, they can be messy. And, it's, and when you're attracted to a disaster, when you're attracted to a mess, it's a, per, it's a perfect breeding ground. For If you're taking notes, jot this down. For conflict. It's a perfect breeding ground for conflict. Now, now I, I want you to get this, this, this picture in your mind. If I were to ask you, where does the conflict come from in your relationships? Like, I don't think our first, our first pick would say, oh, it's me. I'm the reason for the conflicts in our relationships. I, I think we like to think we are the attractive part of the relationship and they're the mess. Right? They're the ones that are messed up, but, but we're too smart to say anything like that, at least most of us. And, and so we use phrases or we say things like when a dating relationship is going bad and we really don't want to tell the truth, we say things like this. You know, I know it's not working out. You're great. I love everything about you. It's not you. It's me. Right? And maybe you've said that before or maybe you've experienced, you've been, on, uh, you've been the recipient uh, of a line like that. But what we're really saying is it's not me, it's you. What we're really saying in that phrase is you're weird. I don't like your parents and you got five cats and I'm human. It's never going to work out. <laughs> That's what we're really saying. Now, for those of us that have been in any type of relationship for any period of time, it might not be a little, it might not be as finesse as, as that statement. It might look more like this. Fine. It's me. It's all my fault. Put it all on me. I'll take it. Fine, I'll take the blame. But in reality, what we're still saying is, it's you. And so I would propose today that, that there might be a little bit of truth to that statement, it's me. 
Now, that doesn't mean that every conflict is, is your fault or, or is a result of your issues. However, to start with me, it's a great starting point. To start with us, to start with you, it's a great place to start. And I think James, the half-brother of Jesus, agrees with me. Look, at me. look with me at James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes the quarrels and the fights among you? Now, this word quarrels and fights or conflicts, it, it means a prolonged combat that could lead to war with intense battle in personal relationships. And James says, where, where do all of these fights and quarrels come from? Some of you guys right now, you're tapping your neighbor like, them. Hey, no elbow tapping in this series, okay? Open up your hearts. Listen, nobody else needs to hear this message. You and I need to hear this message. Are you with me? But it's so easy to say, ah, it comes from them. I'm the attractive part of the relationship. They are the mess. And James would say, time out. I don't think that's so true. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Within who? Within you. James says, whenever there's prolonged conflict or unresolved conflict in our relationship, something's happening on the inside. Now, now James is not saying that, uh, again, every conflict is, is your fault. But what James is saying, a great place to start is with you. Because even if the conflict isn't your fault, you have probably been affected, potentially wounded by the situation at hand. And, and just imagine this for a moment. Imagine if every person in a conflict started with themselves. I mean, the, that would change the world. I mean, really think about that for a moment. If, if we're getting into a, a little bit of a heated argument and all of a sudden we said, let's take five and let's invite the Lord to examine our hearts. Like, let's take five and let's look at ourselves just for a moment. I, I would propose that if that were the case, that conflict would no longer be a demise to our relationship. Co conflict would have the potential to strengthen our relationships. But anytime we start with the other person first, it's going to be bad. Anytime we point the finger first and say, it's you, it, it's, it's going to go south real quick. And so James says, listen, something's happening on the inside of you. He says there's some evil desires that are at war. Now, it's important that you understand this language that James is using. Because this word desire is the word epitumeo. And it doesn't mean uh, only evil is like grotesque and gross. But this word epitumeo or this, this, this word lust or desire, it, it means an over-desire. It means that you can even desire something good. But when that desire becomes an over-desire, you put a good thing in God's place and it gets messy. Like, like for example, maybe you're here and you're single and you want to get married. That is a great desire. Like God is cheerleading that desire on. But if it goes from you want to get married to I desperately need to find somebody to feel significant, to feel valuable, to feel secure... You've taken a good desire, put it into God's place. Now it's become an over-desire, and you're, you're in an unhealthy predicament. So, so then when you actually get into a relationship, what's going to happen is it's going to be all about what you can take rather than what you can give. And because you're putting an expectation on them that's unrealistic, that they'll never be able to fulfill, all of a sudden it leads to a lot of unmet expectations. 
and we start down this trajectory of conflict. And James says when this happens, you end up wanting something, but you don't get it. Anybody ever experienced that in a relationship? And I'm not just talking about marriage relationships. I'm talking about any relationships, friendships, again, with your parents, with your family. Anybody ever have some expectations, but you didn't get what you wanted? Now, all of us have. But, but, but here's the truth. How we handle that is everything. And James is going to give us some insight on how not to handle. Look what James says. He says, you don't get what you want, so you kill and you covet. But you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. What James is saying is really it's become all about you. And when things don't go your way, when expectations that you might have go south, because it's all about you, what ends up happening is you start killing stuff. Some of us may be experiencing that right now. We just start killing joy in the relationship. We start to kill unity and intimacy. We start to kill hope and faith. We just start to, to destroy stuff. We, we, we disturb the peace. We start murdering it because we're so frustrated, we're so angry, we're so self-centered, we're not getting our way, and so we just start killing stuff. And then once you start killing things, you start looking for other things. So once you start killing things, you start looking over the fence at somebody else's wife or husband. Or, or you start saying things like, I wish my parents were like them because they let their kids do this. You know, I wish my husband acted a whole lot more like that woman's husband, had that kind of character, had, and we start comparing. And now what's happening is you're, you're, you're sliding down a slippery slope. And, you, and, and, and there's nothing but quarreling and fighting as a result. And so as I was wrestling through this message over the last couple of weeks, I thought, why in the world does this happen to us? Like, come on, we, we, we know it's not good to be selfish. And some of us, like, we, we know that it's unrealistic to think that every single one of our expectations are always going to be fulfilled. But why in the world do we find ourselves battling with the people we love the most? And James goes on to answer that question. Look what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. What James is saying is wherever there's prolonged combat, combat and unresolved conflict, James is saying you've probably started in the wrong place. And because you, you've, you've put a good thing in a God place, or, you, or, or, or you've put some expectations on, on somebody that are unrealistic. What James is saying, you've probably started in the wrong place. You don't have because you don't ask God. You've started in the wrong place. And as a result, you've heaped expectations on people that they were never designed to fulfill. Like, for instance, in that if you're single and, and that's you and you desperately need to get married, well, to feel valuable, to feel significant... That person that you're going to meet, they were never designed to be the source of your value. They were never designed to be the source of your joy and, and your happiness. And so you're going to have an expectation. You're going to think all of them are wrong. <laughs> that, that guy didn't work. She was crazy. You know, 
surely I'm going to find one. But, but we heap expectations on people that they were never meant to fulfill. Expectations that only God can fill on the inside of us. And then it crushes us. Like, like if you're married today. If you're married today, your spouse, again, was never meant to be the source of your joy. Of your ultimate fulfillment. Like they're, they're there to bring you joy. They're there, they're to, to, to bring you happiness. And, and they're going to they're gonna encourage you. And, and there's going to be security in the relationship. But they were never designed to be the source. Don't crush them. Only God is designed. Now, I, I thought about this one. This one was huge. Maybe it's not even about the other person. Maybe you need to be right in order to feel valuable, in order to feel secure, in order to feel fulfilled. Maybe you have to be right because if not, you don't feel any of those things. Can I let you in on a little secret? Even you don't have what it takes to fulfill you. There's a place in your heart that not even you can fulfill and satisfy for yourself. A place where only God can. And so, so what James is saying, James is saying, hey, pay attention to where you're starting. In other words, pay attention to what you're pursuing first. There's nothing wrong with having expectations. There's nothing wrong with having some needs that, that need to be met. But what James is saying is you need to be careful where you're starting. You need to pay attention to what you're pursuing first. Why? Because if you're taking notes, jot this down. Because what we pursue will affect what we perceive. What we pursue will affect what we perceive. Like, for instance, if today you decided to buy a red Honda Civic, you made up your mind. I don't know why you'd want a red Honda Civic, but you made up your mind. That's what I'm going to buy. All of a sudden, you're going to leave this place. You're going to jump on the freeway. And next thing you know, you're going to see tons of red Honda Civics. And you're going to start tripping like, what? Where did all these things come from? Truth is, they've always been there. It's just your pursuit has changed. And what you pursue will affect what we perceive. So James was saying this. James was saying if you start with the world, if you start with yourself, if you start with your pleasures and your needs, what's going to happen if you're pursuing those things first, it's going to dramatically affect the way you perceive your relationships. But on the other hand, he's saying if you start... With God first, and you allow your desires and, and your needs to be filtered, to be filtered through God and his word, all of a sudden God starts to work out what's good, what's healthy, what's not, what's realistic. And now that dramatically changes how you perceive your relationships. And, and perception is huge. It's huge. In fact, Baylor University did a study on conflict and relationships. And, and what they discovered was that really every conflict boils down to two things. Two things. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. The first one is this. The first one is perceived neglect. And the second one is, per, is a perceived threat. Perceived neglect, you're neglecting me. Or a perceived threat, you're trying to hurt me. And so I thought, you know, let me let you into my, our mess a little bit, right? Because you know your pastors, we're not perfect. We make that very clear week after week. And some of you guys have experienced that. Um, but let me let you into our mess a little bit. I want to show you a picture uh, of some shoes. Now in our house, 
we have light carpet, and so we are required by law to take off our shoes. Hashtag my wife keeping things in order before we go on the carpet. Now, we host an international student from China. He lives with us, and these are his shoes on the top, and these are my shoes on the bottom. And I've kind of haven't been a very good example. And I have this habit of leaving my shoes there rather than being responsible and putting them away. And I have every good excuse in the world, but, but to be honest with you, it's just lazy at times. I, I don't want to put them away. I'm just going to run down the hall real quick, but then I forget, and then I, I leave them. You guys know how it goes, right? And for Jackie, she's always trying to keep stuff, you know, in order. Um, we got three kids running around. She's always trying to keep stuff tidy. And, and her love language is acts of service. And so when she comes, when she comes across these shoes, how many of you guys know that's perceived neglect? And listen, and this right here is a potential argument. L- let me rephrase that. It's been an ongoing argument <laughs> in, in our home. But now let, let me get to Jack a little bit. She is an incredible, let me show you another picture. She's an incredible backseat driver. She loves to be a backseat driver. Like we're driving the other day, and she has no problem saying, you're driving too slow. Get over. Why are you? And I said, I'm thinking in my mind, I have a class C, I have a class B, I have an M1, I know how to drive. <laughs> but it's a perceived threat. What do you, what do you, you think I don't know how to drive? Are you threatening my intelligence? My driving skills? Now this, this, this is huge. And we all laugh because we know that it's true. You see, but, but the problem with, with perception is we all see things from a different perspective. Because we're all different. We have different talents, traits, designs. That, that's how God made us. We all see things from a different perspective. And I learned real quick, and studies have been done, that, that ladies, your brains are like highways. There's multiple lanes, and you function very good in all of those lanes. Studies have shown for us guys, we have like a dirt road. Where it's like, we kind of get in our lane. That's why you can look inside of the refrigerator uh, for you married couples. This, this happens on a regular basis. Babe, where'd you put the, the, the ketchup? It's right there. Where? It's right there. Five minutes later, oh, it's right there. But we all see things from a different perspective. We all see things from different angles. Let me show you a quick picture. I want to ask you a question. How many of you guys in this picture... Do you see an old woman? How many of you guys see a young woman? Yeah. Interesting, right? So, so here's the old woman. Her nose is right here. Her mouth is here. Oh, revelation. Right? And here's, here's the young woman. This is her chin line. She's kind of facing out. She's got a nice little hairdo. But all of us, when we see that, we're, we're, we're seeing a different angle. We're seeing a different perspective. And so... So when it comes to conflict here, and I really need you to lean into this. When it comes to conflict, we're necessarily not always going to agree or see things the same way. Are you tracking with this? And that's fine. As long as we have the right filter. So so we can see things from different perspectives, from different vantage points. We could disagree on stuff, but as long as we have this filter that... That, that there's God before I interact with you. 
It doesn't matter how we think or what our perspective is. If God and his word become the filter of our relationships, we'll still get to a, a, a similar healthy resolve, even though God may get us there in different ways. Are you tracking? But it's the filter. Like even though we think differently, if we are processing through God, if I have to get to God before I get to you, that changes the argument. That changes the game. And it's frustrating sometimes because I'm like, I want to give it to you, but I got this God filter. And it's like the Lord looking at me like, you want to do that? You want to do that, young man? No, I don't want to do that. As long as we have the same filter, the right filter, we can still get to a healthy resolve. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what if that other person doesn't want to have a God filter? Right? What if they want nothing to do with God? Well, I would propose to you, listen, you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. So as long as God is your filter and you're pursuing him first, it's still going to affect your perception on how you see the relationship. And you're going to start to see things from a different vantage point. You're going to start to see and look at what what's used to irritate, it, irritate you. You're going to start to see with compassion. What once used to frustrate the daylights out of you, all of a sudden you're going to be able to see some brokenness. And they're going to be able to look at you. Like, how come you're not irritated and frustrated and yelling and angry and upset all the time? I got a God filter. I got a God filter. And you're walking into freedom. You don't have the weight and, 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 and that angst in your heart anymore. There's a newfound freedom. And that may be a key catalyst to them saying, maybe I need to change the filter. Because what we pursue will affect what we perceive. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. And what we perceive will affect our expectations. You see, I, I, I've done quite a bit of, of counseling. And in almost every counseling appointment where there has been conflict, we don't call it counseling here, we call it coaching. But, but in, in almost every coaching appointment, this comes up. E either expectations that have been unrealistic, expectations that have been unspoken, expectations that um, maybe promises that have been that, that haven't been fulfilled. So many times, almost in every conflict, there's a distortion or a lack of clarity when it comes to expectations. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, this is so huge. And I want to talk so much about this, but I can't because we're going to talk about it over the next several weeks. This is so huge, though, because if you're taking notes, jot this down. When there are unmet expectations, those lead to unhealthy emotions. This is where your frustration comes from. This is where anger comes from because you're expecting something, but it's not working. It's not happening. You may even experience this with God and your relationship with God. And, and if we're not careful, if we don't have a, a healthy filter, then these unhealthy emotions will lead to ungodly judgment. And this is where your perception really gets distorted. Because now you've put yourself as God over their life declaring verdicts of who they are. And that's a very dangerous place to be because God said that same sin that you're judging them with, get ready because it's about to multiply on the inside of you. And now your perception is all whacked out. So as, as I was preparing this message, I, there were so many practical things I wanted to tell you today I, I, about communication and, and about control. And, but I really felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to start with one thing because if this foundational piece is is not in place, 
then none of, none of the other things matter. If this doesn't become a reality, what I'm about to share with you, if this does not become a reality in our relationships, then you can prepare for a long haul of a lot of prolonged conflict in your relationships. Not just marital, but any relationships, period. And this is what I really felt like the Lord speak so clearly to us is that this, is that if we're going to have healthy relationships, if you're taking notes, jot this down, that repentance has to become a rhythm in our relationships. That repentance has to become a rhythm in our relationships. Because today I could talk to you about all that practical stuff. But if you got a lot of war and junk happening on the inside of you, can I tell you what's going to happen? You may adjust for one week or two weeks. But because you got all that mess still in your heart, you got all those judgments, you got that bitterness, the unforgiveness, that resentment, that behavior will last maybe one day or two weeks, but eventually you're going to default back. Because God is not after your behavior modification. God is after your heart transformation. And when your heart is transformed, when, when your heart is transformed, the behavior naturally follows. And you can actually work out some of the practical principles. Sometimes I think um, today we jump right to the practical, but we got to deal with the war first. We got to face some of these things that are really bringing this prolonged conflict in our life. Now, repentance has kind of got a bad rap today. Nobody likes to preach on repentance anymore. But repentance is probably one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. I, I mean, when you hear about repentance, you, a lot of times we think, repent. Turn or burn. Think of a guy with a sign out on the corner. It's just gotten a real bad rap. But in all reality, repentance is probably the greatest gift. And, and it comes from the word metanoia, which, which simply means not, not just a change in direction, but a change of mind. Meaning I used to perceive something this way, but all of a sudden I now perceive it in a brand new light. I want you to see things from a selfish vantage point. I want you to see things in a relationship that would, that would serve me, that would be self-seeking. But now I perceive, I've repented, I perceive as God has been my filter to see my relationships in a brand new way. Not of what I can get, but of what I can give. I, I love the Divine's Dictionary, uh, Expository Dictionary when it comes to, to repentance. Look what they said. And I thought this was so amazing, to perceive afterwards. Like, like many of us, we're, we're, we're kind of traveling down a certain path in our relationships. And as God begins to become this filter in our hearts, all of a sudden he's going to let you know what's not healthy. He's going to begin to reveal the war and say, these are the things that you got to deal with. These are the things that you need to have a change of mind, a renewal in your mind. Not just that you're, you're leaving your sin, but that you're perceiving a brand new life in the kingdom of God. And so, so it's this perception of afterwards, after I've done something, after I've, I've realized that, that something is not right, something is dysfunctional. All of a sudden now I perceive in a brand new way. And I love, I love, I love, I love the, the picture of repentance in the book of Acts chapter 3. Look what it says. Look, look what Peter says. He says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And I want everybody to say this. So that times of refreshing may come 
from the Lord. God's motivation, listen, God's motivation in wanting to deal with that war and, 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 and drawing us and calling us to repentance isn't just simply so he can be like, that's right. No, it's because he loves us so much that he says, I want to refresh your soul. I want to refresh your relationships. You know, Jackie and I, we, uh, we went camping a couple of years ago. And it was late at night. It was about 11 o'clock at night. Kids were asleep. And we're in the little, little cabin. No running water. Just, just a little shell of a place. It was so much fun. Even though we were at a KOA. <laughs> um, it was amazing. You're like, wow, were you deep in the woods? No, we're in Cloverdale. Um, and I remember it was 11 o'clock at night. And God had just been dealing with me on some things. We'd been into this church restart maybe about a year and a half, almost two years. And I just sat by her bed. And she was like half asleep. She was going to bed. And I said, babe, I, I, need to, I need just to tell you some things. And probably for about an hour, I repented of expectations that I had put on her. And there was so much selfish stuff on the inside of me that God was working out of me. I just didn't perceive it before. I, I couldn't see it. There, there were so many pursuits that were more about me that were affecting the way I perceived my wife that were affecting the, the expectations that I put on her. And I just started to, I mean, it was just, it was a moment. She's looking like, what is going on? Like, we going to bed? Like, but if you were to look at our marriage, she didn't think anything was wrong. I mean, we, healthy, I mean, from the outside, but there was still stuff that God was bringing to the surface. And worship team, you can come up for me, that God was bringing to the surface. And can I tell you, what happened after that night, that night was a catalyst of refreshing. Because it was from that place, it was from that place that something broke on the inside of her. And all of a sudden, God started to do this deep work in both of us. And that's where our freedom small groups transpired. And now so many lives have been refreshed. Over and over and over, lives and legacies have been transformed from one moment that began with one moment of repentance. See, see what happens when we repent to one another, when we repent to God first and make things right. Listen, when you sin against somebody else, you're sinning against God. So we got to get this right first. But there's also something powerful when we go to one another and we, and we, and we confess and we repent to them and we apologize in a way that's saying, man, I'm not, I'm not just giving you a, a fake sorry. Man, I'm, I'm, I've had a change of mind. I'm perceiving things in a brand new light. All of a sudden, waves of refreshing come, not just to you, not just to that other person, but it begins to flow out and in turn impact many lives. Refreshing. See, why, why does it work like that? Because... I mean, isn't repentance this negative word? No, no, look, look what John the Baptist says. He says, you need to get a rhythm of repentance. Produce fruit and keeping. Keep that rhythm of repentance. Why? Because in a rhythm of repentance, where we're constantly saying, God, will you be my filter? Lord, where I'm not perceiving things correctly. God, will you adjust my thinking? God, I, I, I want a healthy foundation. I want a heart transformation. I just don't want to deal with, you know, put up with this person or deal with this situation because I'm supposed to. God, would you change my heart? Something happens, John says. He says repentance will produce fruit in your life. 
Now, I know that's kind of a mysterious word, especially if this is your first time to church. Like, what in the world? This is fruit. Let, let me show you the, the best picture I can show you in Galatians chapter 5. Look what Paul says. Paul says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you can use a little bit of that in your relationships? Then you might need to pick up a rhythm of repentance. And, and then James, James takes it and kind of is going to wrap us up today. And James brings us to, to this climactic point in James chapter 5. Look what he says. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is the key thing verse for our small groups. Because something powerful happens when we come to one another. Like, just like I went to Jackie. And I said, man, I'm sorry. This is where I'm at. But maybe you don't have that type of relationship with some people in your life right now. Maybe for you, you don't even have connection with some of those people that have hurt you or wounded you. Or that you've wounded. But man, you can get in a small group of people who love Jesus and want to see God's very best for you. And begin to let them know where you're at. Open up your heart and let them pray for you. Let them pray with you. Listen, it's a struggle. But let them pray with you. Let them, let them encourage you. Let them lift you up. And the promise is it's healing. It's healing. So, so let me get this straight. We got, we got repentance. A rhythm of repentance will produce refreshing, will produce fruitfulness, and will produce healing. That sounds like a pretty good foundation to me. That sounds like a pretty good place to start. Would you guys agree with that? Now, now let, me just, let me just speak to that, to that skeptical and that critical mind and heart that's saying, yeah, I get it. That sounds great. But what's going to really motivate me to do that? I'm so messed up. How do I get there? Like that's, that preaches really well, Pastor Matt. Good job. That, that's so inspiring. But how do I get there? And I'm going to leave you with this. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, don't you see... How wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins or to lead you to repentance? What Paul is saying is here is, listen, God is not wanting to draw you to repentance with a whip. Like, you better repent, you better turn. He's saying, no, 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 no. Look at my kindness. If you could just take a moment and gaze on my beauty, gaze upon my kindness towards you, gaze upon my love for you, my patience towards you, my gentleness towards you, my long suffering towards you. Just gaze upon the cross just for a moment. That screams of my love and my kindness to you. And so here's the deal. If we want repentance to become a rhythm in our relationships, and last one, if you're taking notes, jot this down. It will only happen when God's rhythm of kindness becomes a reality towards you. God, what are you saying to me today? Not to them, not to somebody else, but God, what are you speaking to me, Holy Spirit, this day? So what I want you to do, I want you to first gaze upon his kindness. Some of you, 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 you may have been in church a long time, but you forgot about his kindness, his patience something happens when God's kindness stands in front of every one of your relationships. It becomes a beautiful filter of how you say things, of what you expect, of how you lead. And it really just changes the game. 
And so today, I, I didn't have a, a, a specific application point specifically because I want you to lean into what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. Some of you need to ask somebody for forgiveness. Some of you need to repent. Some of you have been hurt and wounded by somebody else's issues, but it's created and caused judgments in your heart towards them. God is saying a rhythm of repentance, a rhythm of repentance. Listen, some of us, we, we just, we've had these wars going on the inside of us for a prolonged period of time. We may not even know where to start. Start with you and start with God. And say, God, would you from this point forward be my filter? I'm going to pursue you that I could perceive my relationships in a brand new way. That my expectations would become uh, uh, realistic, healthy, godly expectations. And that my heart would avoid these unhealthy emotions and unhealthy judgments. That we might live in such a way where we're walking together, loving one another, serving each other. All as a result of your glorious kindness towards us.